Hey, we love Burger King grilled dogs. They're made with 100% beef, and they're 100%. Mm. They're so good, they make us want to sing like... I can't believe it. Burger King made a grilled dog. Made with 100% beef. Flame grilled anytime you want. This July 4th weekend, put down the tongs, step away from the grill, and get to Burger King to try a grilled dog for just a dollar. Ask for the dollar grilled dog deal and get a classic grilled dog for a dollar. Only at Burger King. At participating restaurants on July 2nd and 3rd, limit five per transaction while supplies last. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. I wanted to do a podcast related to the New Orleans Pelicans. I actually just wrote a piece on Anthony Davis and how I think that he is what I call the golden ticket because he is the only great player that his team knows for sure that they can have him through the changeover of the CBA and all of the shenanigans with the third contract because There aren't a lot of truly great players on rookie contracts right now. There will be some that get there, obviously. I think Drummond is one of them. Kyrie might end up getting there. I hope he does. But that is a very compelling situation, and New Orleans is in such a weird spot for this season because they are very good, but so is basically the entire Western Conference. So I wanted to talk to somebody who knows the team well, and I got Mason Ginsburg, who writes for Bourbon Street Shots. It's in the ESPN Troop Network. And it was a lot of fun talking to him. We went about 43 minutes talked about the present, what he's looking forward to this season, the addition of Omer Ashik, because that is a major factor in terms of this team, and they had a lot of defensive problems, so we talked about that, talked about how they can build for the future, what Anthony Davis is going to be, and all the other facets of this team, ownership, and everything else, so it was a lot of fun talking to him, hope you enjoy it too. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah. So this is a particularly interesting Pelicans team, and one of the things I felt would be a good place to start is how the defense will be different this year with primarily the addition of Omer Sheik. Yeah, um, it's a question we're all wondering as well. I, I think one of the things last season that some of us were upset with in terms of the Pelicans was that there was a lack of flexibility from the coaching staff with lineups and just checking to see, especially after the injuries happened and the team fell out of the playoff race, to see what what kind of stuff might work going forward. But I I think the reality was that the injuries were the reason that you couldn't be flexible because you only have so many guys who who are deserving of NBA, like significant minutes in the NBA. So, you know, you want to see these these lineups with Anderson and and Davis or or Davis at center, the different things and see how they work. But there just wasn't that kind of luxury with all the injuries the Pelicans faced. So one of the things a seat gives you that I'm looking forward to most is the ability to kind of, play around with the wing positions a little more. So it's pretty obvious that the Pelicans don't have much of a, of a true small forward on the roster that, that's that's capable of playing starters minutes. So that being said, you know, you can use a guy like Tyreek Evans on one side or maybe go big with a guy like Ryan Anderson on the other side, two players who are not small forwards. But because you have that line of defense with Omer Asik and Anthony Davis down low, 
you can have that flexibility because you have a second you have the second line of these two really great rim protectors who can stop the bleeding if someone breaks to the basket or, or gets past the first line of defense. You you have that you know that that kind of safety net so to speak. So we did see two nights ago in the preseason, Monty played a little bit of zone defense and played Asik, Anderson, and Davis all together and played Anderson on the wing. He gives up some defense, but on the flip side, he dominated on the on both sides of the of the rebounding glass. So the key here is I think is flexibility, but of course that's all predicated on the Pelicans staying healthy. I agreed. And the other part of getting Omer and kind of completing that triumvirate with Ryan Anderson is that it's very likely that the Pelicans will be playing two guys who are good rebounders at any one time because what makes Anderson different than most of the non-love stretch fours is that he's a good rebounder. And Ashik is obviously fabulous. So not only do you have more defense, but you have a reliable rebounding base there. And if you're going to be playing small at small forward, which it seems like they'll do sometimes, that's a huge advantage. Yeah, I totally agree. And we even heard it in the preseason. One of the things that Monty's been focusing in on is the, the rebounding of the guards. So he, he, I think he knows what he's getting from the big men. He knows he's going to have that rebounding. But what he wants to see is the guards do it, getting some rebounds and, and being able to start that break faster, which is it's kind of counterintuitive in a sense because you think about fast breaks and you want your guards to get out and run and hopefully having uh, Isik and, and Davis taking care of that. But first things first, you've got to get the rebound. And they have bigs. Apart from a seek, they have guy, a guy like Anthony Davis, a big who can run the floor. So that's definitely a, definitely an advantage as well. Yeah, what I've found from the teams that I've covered and just from being around it is that you want to have people who have the attitude of if they're close, they can go and get it. And just basically knowing what to do. So if you're in a spot where you can't get the rebound, then you start to think about the break. And if you're in a spot to get the rebound, then you fight like hell for it. And the Pelicans have a very cool roster to do that because, as you said, they have Davis, who's a big who can run. So you can run it in different ways. If Davis is closing out on a perimeter player, because that will happen, you know, he's closing out on a four who's shooting, then maybe he'll go on the break and maybe you'll have somebody, Salmons or whoever, have somebody in there to try to get the rebound. And if you can instill that balance in your team, then you can have an effective balance between running and still getting the rebound as you said that's the most important thing yeah and that balance is key and that's what's going to come with minutes together so that's the one thing this pelicans team didn't have last year with or without a seek they didn't really have a chance to play all these minutes together so it, what's been exciting for me to watch in the preseason or not watch because i haven't had much of a chance to see these games televised but to see that this pelicans team is, is getting some minutes together so i don't care if they win or lose i want to see good things on the court and i want to see them learn to develop that kind of chemistry that comes with these teams like the Memphis Grizzlies that that have had their cores had years together. The San Antonio Spurs, obviously, another great example. And so I think I think with those those minutes and and just time playing as a group, good things will come of that alone. Do you think that we'll actually see New Orleans give meaningful minutes playing Anderson? Omer and Anthony Davis together because as a basketball nerd I think that's the most exciting possibility maybe around the league other than the Cavs. So I mean I, I I agree with you obviously I'm biased towards the Pelicans but I wrote a couple months ago on over on Bourbon Street shots about that lineup of, of Drew Holiday, Tyreek Evans and those three bigs and w- what it can bring and to be honest I didn't even touch on the aspect of zone defense which is what Monty Williams used when he played them two nights ago so I think seeing that and seeing that Monty's willing to make these kinds of changes to get the best players on the court because you know, until Eric Gordon can can prove he's going to come back stronger from from his injury troubles, I think that's the, your best five players. So I'm encouraged. But we, obviously, we have a very small sample size of one preseason game. But I think it's a lineup you can see deployed in certain situations. Because honestly, 
apart from the guys like LeBron, Durant, and, and Carmelo, there aren't a ton of really lethal small forwards who can make you pay on a, on a nightly basis. So it's a lineup that I think is viable against the majority of teams for stretches. And what, what I'm interested to see is what Monty decides to go with on a night-in-night-out basis in, in that crunch time. So I don't, really, I don't really care much who starts. It's all about who gets the bulk of the minutes and then who's on the floor to end games. So uh, I would love to see that that lineup can be viable, uh, you know, on both ends of the court at, at, in a crunch time situation. But more, more importantly, as I stated before, uh, Monty's got options now. What is your best guess now, as you said, going into the season in terms of what will be that five-man closing lineup? Based on precedent, it looks like it would be, I think, Drew, Gordon, Tyreek, and then some combination of either uh, maybe offense for defense, subbing Ryan Anderson for Omer Asik. That seems to be the conventional wisdom. So, you know, with the timeouts or the, or the fouls, like I think you'd see Asik coming in for the, on the defensive side and then Anderson subbing back in whenever he can on offense. But I think we're going to have to wait and see what, what happens. But I, I think that, that lineup we were discussing with, Drew, either Tyreek or Eric Gordon, depending on whether you want a guy that can attack the rim or a guy that can space the floor a little more. And then Anderson, Davis, and Asik. I think it's a lineup that's viable in certain situations and one I really hope that, that Monty can, can effect, figure out how to effectively utilize. Yeah, I definitely think that that will also be a big calibration thing for just how far he's willing to go with it if, if he'll actually play the closeout lineups. And as you said, one of the underrated factors, people talk about how bad the shooting guard position is around the league and that gets a lot of press but the small forward position might actually be top heavier because it has those guys at the top so people don't think about it because of Paul and LeBron and Kevin Durant but you have a lot of teams even in the west that don't have a let's say a two-way player at that position you think about even a team like the Warriors Andre Iguodala is a very good player but you don't have to kill yourself to defend him and there are a lot of other guys like that in the west and It'll be interesting to see if they can use that as a competitive advantage. And the other thing I wanted to ask you is when they played a zone, what kind of zone were they playing with those guys? I, I was not unable to watch the game, but I'm fairly certain it was a cut it was a three two with yet so you had Davis and a seek down low and then the three three wings across the top. Interesting. Yeah, because I think when I was thinking about that lineup, I think you could actually run a series of different ones, because I think you could run a two three with those guys, and if you wanted to, you could even run a one three one if you wanted to, because that doesn't, I mean, basically then Anderson's responsibility would be making sure somebody doesn't get wide open shots on the corner above the break. And I think you can do that. That's not too hard of a responsibility. He won't do much on the dribble penetration, but I think that's why you have the other two guys. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, the, the real weakness for the Pelicans on their defensive side of the ball is going to be guarding the perimeter. And they've had, they struggle with it last year and they really don't have much in the way of wings that will answer that problem this year. Uh, just based on what what these guys have done, even even guys on the on the bench or the guys they brought in for the season, like John Salmon, it's just not they don't have a bunch of options that can really effectively both guard their perimeter and protect for the drive. So they're gonna have to figure out some ways to to maneuver, and maybe maybe these zone defenses schemes are, are ways to do that. Yeah, were you surprised that the team didn't retain Alfaruk Aminu? I was a little bit. I wasn't surprised when it happened, but then I was really surprised considering the price that he ended up getting. Yeah, and it's a good point, and I think that's great value for Aminu. The, uh, the fact of the matter is he just hasn't uh, – Rick Carlisle is going to be a great coach for him, I think. it's going to. I may do, do wonders for him, and we maybe we'll be kicking ourselves in two or three years about what – to see where he's where he's come from where he was. But he was borderline unplayable at, at some times because he just doesn't have a jump shot, and he doesn't – outside of five feet, you don't have to guard him. His defense may, at this point is a little overrated. He's a great, he's a great athlete, and he's got great wingspan. But he looks a little lost at times, and so I think. But I think that's what co- coaching can help with, especially a guy like Rick Carlisle, 
So obviously rebounding two years ago, he was, he was, he shattered the, uh, the rest of the league in terms of small forward rebound rate. And he was, I mean, he was great last year too. So he really does bring that elite level rebounding for his position. And he's a guy I think you can deploy as a small ball four as well. And it kind of hides his shooting a little more, but ultimately I think they just, you know, he, they weren't, he wasn't worth the price that they were paying him. And I, I was surprised to see him get pretty much a, a league minimum contract, but it's a great pickup for, for Dallas at that price. Yeah. And the other component of it, considering they spent the resources to get Omer Sheik, is that I don't think you could have played the two of them together because it would have just murdered their offense because I, I just don't know how a team would have any trouble defending a team if you have those two guys on the floor who you basically don't need to body up at all, and then Anthony Davis is out there as well. The other thing I've been thinking about with them is, considering Davis has uncommonly good ball handling for a guy his size, do you think that the Pelicans will try it all to use him not as the – guy setting the pick but as the guy handling the ball in pick and rolls this year it's an intriguing thought and it's something that I, I think they have to at least consider you, when you have a guy like Anthony Davis you've got to use his versatility a, as best you can I'm not sure how much we've seen of it so far but um, and, and, and I know that Monty Williams knows that he can grow and become much more than he is but it's a one step at a time sort of approach I think but that being said there's a lot of opportunity there I think he likes to have the ball in Drew Holiday and Tyreek Evans hands predominantly but, um, but like you said, I mean, Anthony Davis was a guard in high school, and he had a huge growth spurt and shot up and became what he is now. So it's another option. And, yeah, I, I do – going back to your point about Alfred Aminu, we, we, we called it last season the unholy, uh, the unholy trinity of Aminu, Tyreek Evans, and Greg Steens on the court together, just destroying all, all floor spacing. And it was, it was brutal to watch, and it's a miracle that Greg Steens isn't on the roster anymore to kind of eat up those minutes. And I know, I know a seek – isn't the the best shooter, but you know he he at least is he can handle himself in, inside, and it's going to be a lot more aesthetically pleasing to to watch that this new team on the court. Well, yeah, it'd be it'd be hard to be much worse than some of those lineups. And the other point before we get into, I'd like to do an extended Anthony Davis thing that I'm really intrigued by is the way that they structured the protection on the pick to Houston is that they retain the pick. New Orleans retains the pick if it's in the top three or if it's from twenty to thirty. So the hard thing about that is I think that it's just so much more likely that it falls within the range that it's going to Houston. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing because then the obligation is extinguished and that opens up some possibilities. But what would you say the chances are that they finish either from 20 to 30 or 1 to 3? I don't see the 1 to 3 happening. I mean, I have to hold withhold judgment on that until we find out what happens with the lottery reform. Obviously, it got shot down today, but that doesn't mean that they could make some minor adjustments and, and kick something in before um, before the, the next uh, lottery occurs. But I, I think it's more likely that they're in the 20 to 30 range. And when I say 20 to 30, I mean maybe 20, 21, 22, somewhere along those lines. Because, I mean, I do agree with you that over the most likely scenario is that, is that that pick goes to Houston. But at the same time, I think this Pelicans team is kind of they, – they've realized that uh, what I think – Many teams look at the glass half full when it comes to the draft, but the fact of the matter is that past those top three to five picks, it's largely kind of a crapshoot. So the Pelicans protected that pick top three, so they, you know, if, if all hell breaks loose and everything, the same thing happens with injuries again, and they end up in the in the lottery, they they want a shot to really nail nab a guy that who who can be a real difference maker. But apart from that, you know, they, they added an impact player in a seek who's going to help them now. And they hope to. I'm sure they hope to re-sign him to a, to a longer-term contract after this season. That being said, I, I think they're okay with the the price that they paid because you know it's just it's hard to really 
no, a lot of teams have trouble kind of gauging gauging these college players and and what kind of value they'll bring to a team in, in the middle of the first round. And Austin Rivers, sadly enough, is a pretty good example of that. He's somebody that I was very high on, and as of now, things haven't worked. What do you think he can do to make himself at least into a reliable rotation player in the league? It's a great question, and I think I think he's done some things that not many other people around the league have noticed, but no, that's, that's understandable because he really, overall, he's been a disappointment. But that being said, his on-ball defense, his defense overall, I think is, is above average at this point. He's proven himself to be at least a solid defender, and I think he can continue to improve there because he's, he's a, he really is a very hard worker. Ball handling is getting better. He has always been able to attack the rim very well. The problem there is free throws, and that's one of the main things I'm looking at with him this year is if you're a shooting guard and you're shooting 65% or worse from the line, which is what Rivers has done through his first two seasons, it's really hard to, to stomach. So I, I think he's got to improve his free throw shooting there. And he's also, his perimeter shooting, uh, ironically enough, even though his free throws have uh, kind of lagged behind, his spot-up three-point percentage last year was actually very strong. So he has room to improve, and he has improved in some areas. So... Uh, I think he will get a chance this year because of, I mean, uh, the, the big weakness for the Pelicans is, is their very significant lack of depth. So he's going to get another shot this year, and we'll and we'll see how it goes. And I think part of the challenge with him was really identifying that he was a secondary ball handler, an off-the-ball player, as opposed to being a guy who can run the offense. And I feel like he's actually had some advantages there because he has a pretty good handle if you're thinking about a guy as a secondary. But if you're dealing with point guards who have to deal with all the amazing players that play that position, I think that becomes more of a competitive advantage for him. Yeah, I do agree with that, and I think it's tough to gauge exactly what situations he's going to play this season because I, ideally, if, you know, a knock on wood, if the Pelicans will be able to stay healthy this season, you have your top six guys, Holiday, Evans, Gordon, Anderson, Davis, and Asik, eating up 200 of the 240 available minutes for the Pelicans. So you've got these 40 leftover minutes for these guys like Rivers and Jimmer Forget and Alexia Jensa and John Salmons, these kinds of players, to kind of fill in the gaps. But injuries do happen, and as, as we in New Orleans well know. So what, in what role he's going to play this year is remains to be seen kind of based on how the, the season shakes out. But I do agree, as a secondary ball handler, you, you can do a lot worse than what Rivers brings to the table. And I know, you know he played the first two years. They were trying to, at least especially last year, they tried to give him some, some point guard minutes, so he at least got some familiarity with the position. Even if he's not a great ball distributor, he, he, he got some experience in that regard. So I think that will help him going forward, too. Yeah, definitely agreed. In terms of Anthony Davis, I think that the best place to start, as somebody who's watched a lot of him, he is unquestionably a great player right now. I think that he's at that level. I've had trouble explaining to people how and why he is great. I want to give you the first crack at it. Because he is a great player. I think every you can look at the stats, you can watch him play, but he's a very unusual great player because he's not a dominant defender yet. He's not really a dominant scorer. He's just a really good basketball player. Yeah, and I think kind of what I alluded to before is a good place to start in the fact that Anthony Davis was a guard in high school, and then he had this impressive growth spurt and suddenly shot up, and now he's a super athletic big man with crazy wingspan. And so I, I think especially even his one year in Kentucky, he was still growing in, into what he became, and he's continued to grow and surpass all expectations. And it's really I've, – I've yet to find something that he, he can't do well. So – um, he had some trouble on-ball defense last year, but his help defense is phenomenal. He's he, With a seek there, he may lead the league in blocks again. He, I, I would bet on him over anyone else at this point. And uh, he, his perimeter game is improving. He was working on the corner three-pointer this past offseason and I think in the preseason a little bit. So I'm not even sure the team wants him stepping out that far, but it's something to add to his game. And it's just, he, he, 
just can he can beat you in so many different ways. And to be able to do that when he's only 21 years old, there are guys who can claim to be able to beat you in multiple ways, but these guys are now hitting their primes, and he still has five to six years left until he gets to his prime age of around that 27-year-old age point. So it's a combination of how efficient he's been at such a young age and just the massive room that he still has to get better. And age is the very important factor in that because a lot of times people think about a guy's career in terms of year one, year two, year three, but the more effective way to really think about it in terms of if you're estimating talent is to actually do it on age. And Davis has looked great, but when you look at his stats, it's even more impressive because I was researching it and looking in everything, wrote a piece last week for Real GM, is that you can make an argument that he had the best age 19 and the best age 20 seasons in NBA history. And while there's an age limit now, and so you don't see as many 19-year-olds in particular, it's monumentally impressive considering the guys who've gotten into the league at a young age. Yeah, I mean, and the little things, well, not really little things, but the things that he doesn't do is, is equally impressive. So his turnover rate was incredibly low. It was, it was just, just a little above Dirk's. And Dirk is a guy who kind of sits outside for the most part and gets a lot of his points from the perimeter. So, and Davis is someone who's he's taking shots from you know maybe the elbow, but he's also getting a lot of his points inside. So the tandem with him and Anderson is really amazing because they're two guys that just don't turn the ball over, and that's just an amazingly impressive and it's it's an undervalued asset to have on your team is these offensive players who not only can score in a, multi, uh, in a multitude of ways, but they also don't cough the ball up. It's just it's it's really amazing to see. Yeah, and having somebody who's that young, it's interesting to think about what he'll want to be because I I think about I was there at the pre-draft interview and process, and I was talking about defense with him, and I asked him what position he said, and he's like, you know, right now I need to play power forward because I'm not big enough to bang with the centers. But when you think about what he could be eventually, he could kind of be a hybrid of all three big man positions if he wanted to be. And my hope is that he gets into a circumstance where coaches, and it could be money, could be whoever, understands how special he is. Yeah, uh, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. And that's kind of where I was going uh, with the comments last year about Monty Williams and that, and how he was using Anthony Davis last year. And he was he mentioned how he didn't want Anthony Davis to get beat up inside as a center. And against some of the guys like like Pekovic and, and those, you totally – and Dwight Howard, you get it. But there are certainly situations where he can also play the five. And and on, on the flip side, you know, the, the, the column I wrote about the Davis, Asik, and, uh, and Anderson trio, where I was kind of looking at Davis playing the three on defense and playing the four on offense and, vi- and vice versa for, for Ryan Anderson – but you know, a lot of people jump jump out at me at the fact that well, you want Anthony Davis inside, you don't want him away, you don't want him so far away from the rim. And I respond, usually yes, that is true. But the fact of the matter is, he's so unique and he's such a diverse player with such a diverse skill set that you have to look at each situation individually and figure out the best way to use him. Yeah, and the other component of it is that considering his lateral quickness and everything for his size. I really want to see if he could actually just purely defend threes. I, I've said I had a camera who was on the podcast. I think it was maybe Arturo Gladi. I want to see him guard Kevin Durant. I'm not saying it'll work. I just want to know yes or no, because I think there's a possibility he could do it. And that would just change the way a lot of people think about what Anthony Davis could be. Yeah, and I, and I think you may see it even if it's in an unconventional style. So what if the if the Thunder decide to go small and have Durant playing at the four, maybe you get Davis guarding Kevin Durant for a stretch. And I think I think it happened at least in small stretches last year. But I, I don't think right now he's capable. But I agree that with with his athleticism and his wingspan and just the way that he's built, 
I, I think that it's certainly a possibility. You just have to get get by the, uh, the people who who just who are against it vehemently just because they know how good he is in, inside. And I think while that's well and good, there are like like you said before, there are circumstances where playing him on defense on the perimeter will make some sense. And the other important part to me, the other major thing that the Pelicans have to do this season is really get it out there about how good Anthony Davis is because now is the time that they can start to use the unique situation they have with him to recruit other people. And why I say it's unique is because I think you can make a good argument that Anthony Davis is the only truly great player who his team can say with no ambiguity, he's going to be here for the long haul. And so as all of these other high-end players hit free agency, and we know they're all going, Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, whoever you want to name, Durant, that they can say that, and so I think that they need to showcase him sooner rather than later, because if they can get in the room for a guy like Stephen Curry, if they can get in the room for Durant, that changes the dynamics of this franchise. Yeah, it absolutely does, and especially especially with the new the new TV deal, it makes that even more true. So you always have every year there's the people talking about like last year was Kyrie Irving, the the, the guys who are sure without a doubt going to get the five year max extension from their franchise. And talking about, oh, you know, he's going to opt out. It's just, it's just not going to happen. No rational mind is going to forego that kind of financial security to be able to pick, you know, where they play basketball. So uh, I, it's, it's, a, it's a near certainty, if not a total certainty, that Anthony Davis is going to be with the Pelicans for the next, you know, half dozen years at least. So, um, you know, I totally agree. That's something they have to start looking at. And, and I'm sure they've got some good minds in the New Orleans Pelicans front office, Dell Dempson and that crew. They're gonna they're gonna get on this, and they've seen what Kevin Durant that he's championed Oklahoma City to to the extent that he has, and even that it hasn't come with a ton of success in free agency. That's kind of that's kind of the the path that they need to take, and I think they'll 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 start doing that sooner rather than later. And I like the parallel with Oklahoma City, but the other big discrepancy there is: Do you feel that ownership is willing to go into the luxury tax for the Pelicans for the long term? Because I think that's what has sunk Oklahoma City over the last couple of years. Obviously, they're still great, but do you think that they can sell players on that they will spend whatever it takes to get a group together if they do? It's a great question, and one Tom Benson really hasn't had to face yet. So I think this new TV deal hopefully will have a positive impact because you have to remember Tom Benson bought this Pelicans or the Hornets team at the time for like around $325 million. I think I'm ballparking that. But which, I mean, you look at what the franchises have gone for since then. Milwaukee Bucks went for far above that price. So uh, Tom Benson got a steal with this Hornets, now Pelicans team, and I really hope he, he – remembers that when he looks to really expand on this uh, on this franchise in the future with Anthony Davis and really as he starts to recruit these free agents that he remembers how much how much he made on this franchise um, you know regardless especially when this new TV deal comes to play and is it your expectation that he will have the team long term because I think some owners will consider selling considering how high the franchise values are going to get I think we're going to see some interesting teams go on the market just because it's an easy opportunity to just cash out and make a ton of money and and that's that's an absolutely fair point. But I I think the fact that he's so entrenched in this, with the city now that he I mean he owns the Saints obviously and now he owns the, the Pelicans as well. He just rebranded the team, so I just I, I don't see that as a move Tom Benson would like to make. You know, I, he, I I think if he was going to do that, he wouldn't have put so much of his personal involvement in the team in in the sense of a name change. So I, I think that Benson's going to hang on to this team for the long haul. Obviously, Benson's not a young guy, so that, there's a concern there. But I mean, his family is is within the ownership group, and so I, I I don't have a lot of discomfort at this point with the ownership situation. I'm pretty confident about it for the long term. And as 
kind of weird as it sounds, in some ways it, it can be a good thing in the long term if you have an owner that wants to win now as long as you have the talent to do it, as long as you spend that money intelligently. And I think that what New Orleans needs to realize is that they have this unique talent in Anthony Davis and a guy who's unusual that he will be around the city for a long time, assuming they want him and they will. So they need to make sure that they don't spend money badly because then they have enough space to max out a guy or two next to Davis because a bunch of pretty good guys is fine, but we know that elite talent is what really makes the difference in the league right now. Yeah, and it's so true, and I think they can learn from the, the the prior New Orleans Hornets regime because you had you, you had such a great start there with drafting. You drafted David West. The first three years of the New Orleans Hornets franchise, their tenure in, in, in New Orleans, was David West, J.R. Smith, who became Tyson Chandler in that P.J. Brown and J.R. And Smith trade, and Chris Paul. And those were the first three guys, and there was your foundation. And then looking to build, there were some draft busts after that, obviously, but then you had Tasia, James Posey, and Morris Peterson, uh, in some order, the, those three players. And it's just, and the money they were, they were assigned to, we got one good year out of Tasia, and besides that, it just crippled the franchise. And obviously, the ownership situation was in flux, and that contributed largely to Chris Paul trying to trying to get out of New Orleans or, or and into into Los Angeles. But you can't ignore the fact that this team spent money very unwisely. And I think it's a different group, totally different group than, than the, the one, the people who paid those guys prior. But I think they'll still look at that and realize, and I think that's kind of what they've done here, at, at least to start. So, I mean, you can, you can argue about the prices that they paid in terms of draft picks for a guy like Drew Holiday. But what you can't argue is that they're paying these guys who are young and they're paying guys who aren't going to going to flame out because they hit the age of 30 or 31 because that's that's kind of what happened with with uh, James Posey, Morris Peterson and, and Peja. They you know they paid these guys who are in their who are 29, 30, 31 years old and gave them long-term contracts and it's worked out just as a lot of people expected. So they they gave Terry Gibbons, Drew Holiday, these these guys that are on you know, maybe maybe a little expensive contracts but they're still very young and have room to grow and that's I think that's kind of the theme that you saw before and I think that's where they're going to stay and it's I'm pretty optimistic in that regard. I am too, and the other reason why 2016 is such an interesting time for them is that those guys will still be under contract, and those contracts, depending on how they structure the cap, if I'm New Orleans, I'm arguing strongly against smoothing, because if there's a big jump, I don't think there are many teams that benefit more than New Orleans, assuming they're willing to spend it, because what happens is Drew and Tyreek in particular become substantially less expensive comparatively when the cap jumps, and that will give them an opportunity to add without subtracting and that would be a very nice thing for a team that can do it plus it makes those contracts let's say you can get a guy like let's say Stephen Curry who's interested then Drew Holiday's at a very manageable price and you can get an asset for him if you can upgrade his position without having to give him up yeah I mean you make a great point uh, when, when when the new TV deal comes into play would they have Drew Holiday and Terry Evans will be on the last years of their contracts at good value and I think even I think Terry Evans if I'm not mistaken I think it declines in value every year so I think he paid him they paid him a little more money up front and that's a, a, a declining uh, contract so you have Tyreek Evans, Drew Holiday, and then Anthony Davis is on his extension. And that's all that's in there. At this point, that's all they, they have inked. And so Ryan Anderson comes up that year, you know, and there's the Eric Gordon situation, which will be, which will be uh, finished with at that point. So they're in great shape. And, and I think they'll, in going forward, they're definitely well aware of this. And I think it, they'll be in, uh, in a good position to recruit additional talent. You just mentioned the Eric Gordon thing. Is the expectation that he's going to pick up his player option? 
It's most likely true. There's a, of course, there's a small chance that he that he opts out to try to get some sort of long-term deal. But I, I really do think he's going to pick up pick up that option. It's just, I mean, it's it's far above his value right now. So there there's some people who hope that it's not it's not going to happen. But I, I I think that it's going to happen. And if it actually if he decides to turn it down, then I'll be even more excited. But it, I feel like it would be a poor business decision for him to turn down that 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 option. Would your expectation be if he did decline it that he would go somewhere else because the money would just he would be doing it to get something that New Orleans wouldn't be intelligent to sign him to? I don't think he really fits with the with the long term vision of this team. I mean, he his defense is last season was an absolute liability, which is I don't think anyone expected him to be that bad on defense, but he was. And I just think that with with Drew Holiday and Tyreek Evans, this this team has the ball handlers that they want going forward at the top. So I just don't think he fits into the team's long term plans. They don't have really the ability to give him the money that he might want, and it really wouldn't make sense considering I, I think this team does see Tyreek and Drew as their backcourt of the future. So. Um, I, I think that when this contract runs out, they'll go their separate ways. That definitely makes sense and also makes him an interesting piece. If a team really did believe in him, if he can rehabilitate his value in the beginning of this year to get even something useful for him because then you can get something that makes more sense with this roster because, as you said, it feels like he's kind of out of the core. And if you could get a small forward that's even you know passable that's on a similar contract, I think that would be – a more useful functional piece for New Orleans for the next year or two. Yeah, I mean, they've tried to trade Gordon. Obviously, as the contract shrinks, it gets easier. But I just, I'm not sure there'll be any takers for him unless he really gets out of the gates to a very hot start to start the season. I think that's something that's always going to be on the table, no matter how well Gordon's playing. If they, I don't think there'll be any second thoughts. Oh, maybe we should keep him. I think if he bursts out of the gate and plays very well, then I think that's something that they have to consider, and 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 they'll, they'll definitely look to move Gordon in the first chance they get. If they can get some, you know, either fair, whether it's fair value in the sense of a, a player return or just as long as they're not taking on long term financial um, con- long term contracts, I think that's something that they're going to consider very strongly. Yeah. And the other Pelicans issue that I wanted to talk about is where you see them fitting in this obviously stacked Western Conference, because it's just such a hard thing to sort out. And I think to a point, it's more you just put them in order and just we'll see who gets hurt. Oh, I, that's pretty much my feelings as well. So I, I do think that there's a top three for me, and I, I think even even with the Durant injury, I think that the the Spurs, the Thunder, and the Clippers are, are going to be the top three teams in that conference. But after that, I think exactly what you said. I think any injury can tip scales. Because I mean, I look at the I look at the Pelicans as a as a team that if they stay completely healthy, they're one of the top eight teams in the Western Conference in my mind. But that being said. They're in a similar situation to Portland where their depth is not very strong. So, I mean, you look at the Portland Trailblazers last season. Four of their five players didn't miss a single game. LaMarcus Aldridge played in between 65 and 70, I believe. So they were the, the, the health, lucky healthy team, so to speak, because before the season started, no one, no one projected them to have close to 50 wins. You know, they were a fringe team, and, and they, they didn't get hurt, and so they played very well. And so I think if you have that kind of situation with the roles flipped of Portland having the injury troubles and the Pelicans staying healthy – the Pelicans are the team in the playoffs. So I think if there's one team to drop out of that top eight, I think it's I think it is Portland because the lack of the depth and the uncharacteristically healthy season last year. But apart from that, you know, it, it is it is very tough to see what's there, there's no obvious team to drop out of the playoff race. So it's just going to come down to who can stay the healthiest, I believe. Yeah, I, I agree pretty fully. I think in, in pure talent, I think that the 
Pelicans are in the probably 8, 9, 10 range. I haven't really listed it out yet because I don't always think of it in that way. And it'll be luck of the draw. I think that we know that there will be at least one team that falls out because of it. And I would guess that there will be two because of how strong it's going to be. We saw that with Memphis last year. Memphis was a good team, but they nearly got knocked out just because they lost Marcus for so long. And I think you're right on Portland because Portland, I believe it was 13 games total missed due to injury from their starting lineup. It was so that would put Lamarcus at 69, which is within the range you said. And it's such a it's such a weird thing. And the other part of it is it's really frustrating that there isn't a top 16 format because this the Pelicans would almost definitely have a better chance under that format. Yeah, and it, it's tough, but it's something you just have to get used to in the Western Conference. And I mean, if you, I mean, you look further down. Phoenix is going to be good again this year. They added Isaiah Thomas. They lost Jennings Fry. I think that'll hurt. And Denver, if they get Gallinari back healthy, that's another team that that could make a push to the playoffs. So not only are, are the is it tough to pick a team to drop out of the top eight, there there are teams that like New Orleans missed the playoffs last year, but have a really really strong shot to make it this year. So it's tough to stomach, but it's just the life. It is, and because of that, I think that one of the challenges with teams in the Western Conference is defining success. How would you define success for New Orleans this season? I think how I define it and how management would define it may be two separate separate issues because I, I think that this – I, I think Tom Benson and, and the ownership group, I think they really want to make the playoffs this year. But, I mean, per, on a personal level, while I would love to see this, this team in the playoffs, I want to see this team play together. I, I just want to see injuries not decimate the roster. I want to see what the guys that are on the, the Pelicans have at the top of their, their roster right now, what they can do if they can spend the majority of the season healthy. And if it's not playoff caliber – then you know you need maybe you need to make some changes. So continuity and, and health is just what I'm looking for this year, and obviously to watch Anthony Davis take his game to a, yet another level. That makes a lot of sense. And the other weird thing that I would say to find success for this team is something that won't happen during that league year, but it's Omer being on the team a year later because otherwise that makes the sacrifice a lot bigger. And I think that he could be a wonderful piece in this core, assuming they can retain him. Yeah, and I think they have every intention on doing so. And I think Omar Sheik likes the fact that he's he's a starter here, and he's not he didn't get thrown under the bus for Dwight Howard. And I, I think they will look to resign him. And, and what his contract situation is going to be very interesting because he's one of those guys where you just don't know with the with with the TV deal coming into place, what is the seek going to do? So his value may be overinflated. It, I mean for one season because of the, the, the salary cap inflation. So it's going to be interesting to see see what goes on. And maybe New Orleans pays – I'm not sure what, what his value is going to be next season for, for a, a guy who doesn't bring you much on offense but is one of the top three or four elite defensive centers in, in, in the NBA. And you hit on the two big things that I think are really important with that negotiation. One is that he, his role, he's got to be happier with his role because uh, he'll get the minutes and he'll get the starting slot. And I think both of those seem like they matter to him considering all the drama that happened last year. And depending on how we still don't know how they're going to structure the cap, it's possible that he might get below what will become the new market value because he's hitting free agency a year early. We don't know. They might try to you know, do some stuff to try to raise it a little bit more next year to, to make it so 2016 isn't so crazy. But there is a possibility that even the, getting him getting market value in 2015 could be substantially different than what he would have gotten if he was a free agent in 2016, and that could be very helpful to them. Yeah, it's a very confusing situation overall. You look at, especially when you look at these guys who are going to hit restricted free agency, uh, a guy like Kawhi Leonard. Uh, so it's, it's it's a mess with those guys too. But especially with this with the Seek, I mean, I think 
like like you said, if they can lock them in, if, if the Pelicans, if, if Eric Gordon for some reason opts out and then the Pelicans get a seek at a below market rate, then the sky's the limit for this for this franchise. So I don't think that, like I said, I don't think Eric Gordon's going to opt out, but I do think there's a decent chance that, you know, Omer Asik, why wouldn't you love playing with a guy like Anthony Davis? So um, the, I think they have a very good chance to to retain him. And, and I, I do understand the, the, the notion that yeah, if they can keep him, it makes the trade much more uh, palatable. So I, I think that this Davis Asik uh, combo can be a very reputable force in the Western Conference going forward. I know that I this happens to me, but you're closer to it. Do you ever catch yourself thinking what would it what it would have been like if they had kept Nerlens Noel? N- the thing I find myself wondering more frequently than that is what if they had the, what if they had had the tenth pick in the draft that they got Austin Rivers instead uh, instead of that what if they had the ninth pick and got Andre Drummond? That's the fun what if scenario I like to play. I don't I don't want to think about. It. I, I I like the Drew Holiday. I, I like I like the addition that we made for him. I like the not rolling the dice in the draft and, and if. If you know that you're not a good a good drafting team, which the New Orleans Hornets slash Pelicans, they haven't been a good drafting team recently. So I'm okay with trading those picks for proven young talent in return. So I, I like to I like to daydream about the Anthony Davis Andre Drummond possible combination. Had the Pelicans had the ninth pick instead of the tenth. Yeah, and it's unfortunate for New Orleans that they can't recruit because they were FIBA teammates. That it looks like Drummond will be in a similar situation to Davis, where it's going to take a lot to get him out. Because yeah, that would be an unbelievable front line in terms of the like just the age and the talent of those two players. Yeah, uh, totally agree. And I mean, what 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 Drummond lacks in, in his free throw shooting ability, he makes up for in every single other area of the game so far. So uh, I enjoy watching him play, and I think uh, Detroit's my dark horse. Eastern Conference playoff team this year, and I, I feel like, and Drummond's a big part of that. The other question, because you're much more familiar with Davis than I am, is what do you consider the ideal player? And we'll take you know LeBron and Durant out of it. Any guys who won MVP, what do you think is the most logical complementary piece? Is it a point guard so they can run pick and roll? Is it a center like Omer so he has the protection on defense? What is the what is the most important piece to maximize him? It's a great question, and I'm not sure if there's one there's one right answer at this point. Mostly because of some of the things we've talked about earlier, but we don't really know exactly what he is going to be when all when all is said and done. When he when he hits that age of 24, 25, and all of his skill set is pretty close to fully developed. But I think Asik is a is a great start, and he's one of the top answers. You know, I, I was one of the advocates for giving giving Davis a bunch of minutes at center with Ryan Anderson and seeing the offensive firepower. But the fact of the matter is Davis is, is going to be one of, if not the best help defender down low in, in the NBA this year. And he's going to, he, he probably will lead the league in blocks just as a, as, as a guy playing great help defense next to such a rock solid force in the middle as, as Omer Asik. So I, I don't know the perfect answer, but I don't think we can know the perfect answer quite yet in, in, in Davis's career. But Asik is one of the optimal guys, at least on the on the defensive side. On on the offensive side, you know, if you're playing someone like a Seek and you're playing someone like Tyreek Evans, it's great to have another four spacer. So someone a three and D type small forward ball, not like not not speaking the ideal player, but the ideal skill set to add would would be a, a three and D type small forward. No no names come to mind as as the I mean obviously Kawhi is the prototypical guy they're looking at now in terms of a, a young guy who can who can stretch the floor and really give you a great defense. But um. You know, I think that's the one piece on, on uh, that, that they're missing from that small forward position. But uh, like I said, it has yet to be determined exactly what Anthony Davis will ultimately be. And I think once we figure that out, we'll, we'll know. And, I, and I, I trust the front office to figure that out. 
Yeah, and they'll definitely have plenty of time in terms of assessing what Anthony Davis and also what he wants to be. I think that's another important part of it that people don't always think about. With LeBron, he didn't become a post player until he wanted to become a post player. That wasn't Miami that did it. That was him doing it. And so they'll have to be have involve Anthony in the conversation because his vision of what he wants to be as a player is incredibly important as well. Yeah, it really is, and I think that's one of the things that many of us lost in, in the let's play Anthony Davis at center, and well, what if he doesn't want to play center? And I think that's what came out the, uh, this preseason. I forgot what I think it was another a different Pelicans player. I can't remember who it was, but said that Davis doesn't really like playing center, and maybe that changes in a couple of years if he continues to add a little bit of, of strength, not not a bunch of bulk. I don't I don't think uh, I don't think you want Davis going over a certain certain weight so he can maintain his athleticism and flexibility, but. You know, he will continue to get stronger, and maybe as he gets stronger, he, he doesn't mind playing center as much. So uh, you're absolutely right, though. It's going to depend a lot on what he wants to do as a player and what, how he, he sees himself in the league. Yeah, any other things you want to hit on the Pelicans or anything else? I think we touched on a lot. You know, we, we haven't really talked about uh, Drew Holiday too much apart from the, 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 the trade <laughs> chatter, but I, I think, you know, he's one of those guys that had some injury troubles as well last year. But I think Drew is one of those guys that's really going to come and surprise some people this year. I think he fits very well with this Pelicans team. I think I think his defense has been a little bit undervalued at the point of attack. And I think he, the fact that he can play both point guard and defend on the wing with that length that he brings is going to be something that, that really helps the Pelicans defensively this year. Yeah, and he's a very good defensive player. And he also he has really good instincts. The only other thing I want to mention is that I'm really hoping that we get to see a little bit of Tyreek playing with Jimmer because I think Jimmer shouldn't be running an offense. But if you have him as the secondary guy and just wide open jump shooter, that could be a really nice role for him for the times that Tyreek is playing with the second unit. Yeah, it makes sense, and I'm I'm pretty sure they play a little bit together in Sacramento, so maybe there's maybe there's uh, some some a little bit of chemistry that that still exists there. But yeah, I mean, I, I we we hope that that Jimmer can fulfill the the void that Anthony Mora left last year, and uh, obviously he he lacks NBA level uh, you know ability in certain areas, but he can he can sure shoot the ball. So if you can deploy him in the right situations with the second unit and really take a lot of pressure off him, just ask him to knock down some shots. I think he can be very helpful there. Yeah, definitely agreed. Thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Mason Ginsberg for taking the time to come on. You can read him at bourbonstreetshots.com, which is in the ESPN True Hoop Network. You can also follow him on Twitter at M-A-S-O-N-G-I-N-S-B-E-R-G. It was a lot of fun having him on. The Pelicans are a particularly interesting situation because they have so much young talent, but they also need to establish themselves because... Omer is going to be a free agent very soon. Also, I looked up after we recorded it, and the NBA pronunciation guide has it as Omer Ashik, and so that's going to be hopefully how I pronounce it from here on out. Apologies to Omer and his family for consistently mispronouncing it on my end. So we're getting close to the regular season. I'm hoping to do at least one more preseason podcast. We'll see how it works out. I mean, the work that we did with Arturo Gladi is definitely more than enough, but it's kind of fun to talk to people before it starts because then we we don't know anything, and in some ways it's more fun to talk then. But as always, if you have any contributions, positive, negative, whatever, I will read it. I will respond. You can email daniel.larue at realgm.com, or you can hit me up on Twitter, at Larue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I appreciate it. Take care and make it a great day.
One of the best things about Randall's is all the friendly and helpful people. And now, Randall's is looking for more great employees just like you. That's right. All Randall's stores are now hiring friendly new faces to join their team. Ages 16 and up can apply today. If you or someone you know is looking for a job with flexible schedules, great benefits, career advancement opportunities, and even scholarships, then have them stop by the nearest Randall's store for more details. Randall's, it's just better. 